Hi, welcome to Worship Leader Life Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Toon, and we're here to disciple worship leaders. Over the years, I've met and worked with a lot of great people, great minds, and great hearts when it comes to worship and pastoral ministry. And it's funny because I could not remember where I first met Stacy Gladysmith, but she remembers. Thank you for remembering <laughs> during our interview. Um, it, you know, back in the day when I was working at 10th Avenue Church, 10th Church in Vancouver, uh, Lincoln Tatum and I were on staff as the worship arts people. And in my last year there, things just really started to grow. And we had a lot of people coming uh, from Regent College, and we had a number of interns start with us. But it, it, we were growing so much as a staff that, you know, I didn't have a ton of interaction with everybody at all times. And then eventually I went with Don Cowie, and we planted a church called Mosaic in Vancouver. And so I kind of lost touch with a lot of the folks that uh, were attending 10th. But Stacy was one of those people who uh, did an internship at 10th when she was at Regent College and uh, skip ahead a bunch of years and I have seen you know seen her here and there. I noticed she had a blog, which is great. I will put the link to her blog in the show notes. And then I saw her speak at the Levite Summit and I was blown away because she is brilliant. She is sharp. She is theologically and pastorally minded. She loves the church. She loves the local church. And now she loves her students. She's the worship arts director at Columbia Bible College. And I, ha I got to have a great conversation with her this week. So this is our podcast for this week. I'd love to hear what you think. Let us know. Make some comments on the blog or on social media or wherever. But before you make comments... Have a listen. Well, welcome. Welcome to the Worship Thank Your you. Life podcast. A little, uh, I almost said side hustle. It's not a hustle. It's, just, it's, a, it's not a side thing for me. It's like, it's, it's just something I've been kind of slowly uh, piecing together over the last year or two, uh, interviewing people who are in the field of worship as worship leaders or pastors and um, mm -hmm. really excited to have you here because we haven't had many of your types on meaning <laughs> academic, <laughs> academic <laughs> theological geniuses. Uh, wow. Oh, okay. Wait, what did you think I meant? That, was, that, is my, that is my official title. Yeah. That's academic. what I thought, right? At Columbia. Yeah. yeah. So, Tell us a little bit about yourself, Stacy Gladysmith. You are here. I'm I'm here. Um, wow, how far back do you want me to go? I uh, I it, grew up on a sheep farm in central Alberta. Nice. Um, so when we talk later about pastoring, there's definitely a shepherd influence there. Um, ah. to some extent. Um no, I started leading worship in college, actually. I was on a team, and then somebody pushed me to to apply for leadership. And I actually didn't think that I would be able to do it. But I thought, oh, why not? I'll just apply. And then they gave me a position called Sunday Night Alive Coordinator. 
Mm -hmm. which meant every second Sunday I had an hour and nobody told me what to do with it and they gave me a band. And <laughs> I, the first week I was gonna lead, I kind of, I got up there and I, I was like, well, I didn't get up there. When, as I was planning, um, I thought, well, this is great. I'm just gonna pick all my favorite songs because that's what you do when you finally have the power. And so I picked all my favorite songs and uh, got up there on the Sunday night and it was, it was okay. It was just kind of just okay. And that started me thinking, maybe there's more to this worship thing than just throwing my favorite songs together yeah. in a set and playing with a good band. Um, so that that probably is where I started thinking about worship more broadly. And um, it was great being able to, like I basically experimented for a year because nobody, <laughs> I said nobody told me what to do yeah. I think I was 20 at the time and um, there was no oversight <laughs> at all <laughs> at that point in time. Yeah. so I could do all kinds of things um, so did you say what what school were you at that was at Trinity Western at Trinity oh right right yeah. okay yeah in Langley yeah so I I did all kinds of things then in between I um, I did start after I graduated I led um, I, I had my first worship pastor position at, at uh, a church in, in Langley. And my first Sunday leading, they paid me $10 an hour, 10 hours a week. And I led every Sunday and did a, ba a major Christmas program oh, wow. and an Easter thing. <laughs> yeah. So the first week that I led there, my trial Sunday, um, the pastor neglected to tell me that they were moving from two services to one service. <laughs> Nice. And the one service that was that was being amalgamated had been only piano wall hymns. Mm. And I was told to lead full band contemporary. So you can imagine yeah. how that went. Yeah. Um, lots right. of good stories there about working that uh, kind of person person to person um, difficulties and conflict through in that context. And when was that? Like, what year would that have been? Um, that was 98, 99, kind of in that oh, realm. $10 an hour? Yeah. That's crazy. I think I made more on my internship. <laughs> I mean, I have made less. I will say mm -hmm. that. Like, it's not like, but like, <laughs> if you're doing all that, plus yeah. the production thing at Christmas and Easter and what, you know, that's pretty wild. Yeah. Yeah. And I had two other jobs to make ends meet. So I burned out pretty quick. Yeah. Uh, after that. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So you, so you're leading worship and yeah. uh, now I know I read, a, I read a bit of your bio um, from the Columbia, from the website. Yeah. Um, and you eventually ended up back in grad school, but there was stuff in between. Mm -hmm. wasn't there? Didn't you study audio or Something. Yeah, I did an audio engineering certificate. Nice. Um, unfortunately, just in the shift from analog to digital. <laughs> so I got a little bit of the digital, but a lot of experience in analog. That's awesome, though. It's great. Yeah, it doesn't, uh, I don't use it very much um, yeah. these days. But I did that. I worked um, for two months in a recording studio in Ethiopia. Wow. Um, recording Christian Somali music for broadcast from Ethiopia over Somalia. 
And actually, some of that material is still on the radio today in Ethiopia. Uh -huh. Pretty cool. Um, yeah, and then uh, came back and felt a little bit kind of lost in terms of what I should be doing next. And I went to a to Breakforth in Edmonton, big worship conference. Yeah. And uh, I went to this youth session, not because I knew anything about the speaker, but because um, Chris Tomlin was leading worship and I was curious because I'd never mm -hmm. seen him as a worship leader. And he, it was just him and his guitar. He did a beautiful job actually leading people in, instead of, he didn't play all his stuff. He didn't yeah. make big to do, but he brought us to this moment um, and then the guy who was speaking got up and just destroyed it. Uh. He basically got up and went, hey, high school students, don't you hate nerds? Like, oh, that was no. And I... I oh, I've been there. <laughs> I was been so angry. Yeah. So in the second row, I got up and walked out mm. and uh, went to the prayer room because I didn't... I was like, well, I'm so angry about this. <laughs> I need yeah. to do something. You're, you're in the zone. Yeah. yeah. Out of it. And then it's like, yeah, I, yeah. I know what that's like. Yeah. Yeah. So it was being in that prayer room. Um, women there prayed over me. And then as we chatted a little bit afterwards, and she asked why I'd come to the prayer room, and I told her, and she said, hmm, I wonder why that made you so angry. <laughs> yeah. And that I kept hearing that question for the next few weeks in my mind. Why did that make me so angry? And um, that's when I started to think maybe there's a deeper passion here for the way that we do worship and understanding something about that. And if I want to pursue that, I better actually study the Bible a little more intensively yeah. than I have in the past. So that's when I started looking at grad school and ended up at Regent. Mm -hmm. That's so awesome. Yeah. Um, I forget, is Regent, do they call themselves a seminary or, yeah, I get, are they seminary? <laughs> a contentious issue. They call themselves an, an unseminary. <laughs> That's awesome. So That's they are, awesome. they're they're a theological graduate school, but they don't mm -hmm. do PhDs, just master's degrees. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. And then, now, is that when I met you? Like, did, I think, I feel like I ran yeah. into you when you were at 10th. Is that right? Yeah. But was it? at church or was it at a retreat or something like because i remember meeting all these people at a retreat one year that were new to me oh. <laughs> but i can't remember so were I, I, you one of that faceless mob um yeah I, yeah I actually did my regent internship at 10th okay um mostly with lincoln but you were still there at the time so yeah, like what you year? your overlap yeah okay Mm -hmm. that's crazy yeah that's so long ago i that that year mm -hmm. before we went to mosaic was like a real it's a blur it was a blur to me because it was just such a strange time trying to make yeah. decisions and like you know yeah because 10th was kind of like my um i don't know my mother church like where i had it so i grew so much learned so much and then yeah. i wanted to you know go off and do the mosaic thing but i also yeah, I didn't want to leave Lincoln. I know. It's so, hard to leave Lincoln. And then it was after I, I think I went to Mosaic and all these new people started coming on staff. And like the tent staff is so huge now. <laughs> and now it's giant. Yeah. 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 Anyway, so well, so you're at Regent and 
I guess were you there when Peter was there at Legrand? Like, cause he yeah. was he he did didn't he do a record for his uh, his final yeah. like, this project? Uh, yeah, he did. I wasn't allowed to do an arts project. I lobbied to do one, um, but I was in the MDiv, so they don't allow oh. MDiv students to do the arts projects. But I did an MDiv with a concentration in Christianity and the arts. Okay, so so you you did Regent and you finished, and then what? <laughs> um, then I actually worked at Regent for a while because the other thing that happened while I was at Regent is I met an Irishman named Andrew and so yeah. I graduated and then got married Nice. Um, yeah so and he wasn't done his degree yet so I worked at Regent as their staff writer which was a, a title they made up um, <laughs> for a time doing all kinds of things I um, published I did their uh, alumni magazine, edited Advent readers, did some donor writing and things like that. Nice. Um, and then um, Andrew graduated and we moved to Alberta mm. um, where we were involved in a church plant there. So we did that for almost five years and uh, midway through kind of um, our last year there, um, I got a call out of the blue. When I graduated, I had actually applied for the job at Columbia Bible College. Okay. Um, because it came up, but I was, I'd missed the deadline. I didn't see it until um, it was like a week after the deadline. And uh, so they said, well, you know, we're already interviewing, but, you know, we'll keep it on file. And I no. thought, oh, yeah, sure, you'll keep it on file. Well, they emailed me seven years later. Ah, no way. And said, "Are you? Would you? Are you still interested in this job?" And I kind of went, "What college? Where?" <laughs> yeah. Um, so, and I had been like working for Baker Academic, doing some editing and stuff like that in the meantime. But and started my blog, Thinking Worship. Um, yeah. Com, which has has been a bit hit and miss lately. I've gotten back yeah. into it, but while I was starting teaching, it was not something I could keep up. So one thing that stood out, and I love this because I've always um i've always struggled with the title pastor mm. um, not for pastors but just like sometimes you've got someone who they you know we call a pastor but that's not maybe their primary gifting mm. um however most pastors i know they are pastoral in various ways it's not that they don't have the heart or the gift for it but it's interesting as a worship leader i've always felt like um at, at least for me the pastoral side is, has been huge, you know, whether it's shepherding people in the congregation or, or the community, but, or the team. Right. And so it stood out when I read some more about you and it said that you, you teach that worship leading and leadership is pastoral. And can you share a little bit about your thoughts on that and how you communicate that to your students? Yeah. Oh, wait, we forgot to say what you do though. Did we say? Oh, I yeah, know, you I are the worship arts there. director, right? Yeah, I direct the worship arts program at Columbia yeah. Bible College, where I'm on faculty as well. Yes, mm -hmm. Columbia Bible College. And I have a lot of friends who went there, and I visited there over the years. But I'm from Chilliwack originally, so, right. yeah. yeah. Anyways, but, yeah, yeah. so how do you uh, tell us? Tell us about worship. pastoral stuff. Worship leading is pastoring. Um, I won't. I won't talk about the sheep farm. Um, too oh, much. Yeah. When, I, when I talk to students about the word pastor, we talk about the origin of the word, which just means shepherd, really. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Um, and we talk about kind of what does a shepherd do? Um, what, what kind of roles is a shepherd involved in? And, you know, like feeding, caring for, guiding, um, all kinds of things like that. Um, I've been quite influenced by James K. Smith. I don't know if you've read any of his work on. Yeah, he's got some great. Um, but I should, right? Some great works on kind of the 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 way habit and ritual shapes us as oh, people. Nice. And so yeah. he comes at it from more of a cultural bent, um, and and does some really great groundwork in helping um, helping people understand the way our repeated shared actions actually affect who we are and what kinds of decisions we make and how we act and how we talk and, and all of those things. So he, he has a cultural liturgy series where he's looking at the way culture affects us in that way. And he does talk about um, the church being kind of the seat of that and gathered worship being um, kind of the primary seat of discipleship. Yeah. <laughs> um, now he, awesome. I think he falls down a little in application <laughs> to oh, yeah. modern, worship context, which is quite often what happens. We get theologians who struggle to apply their material and we get practitioners who struggle to have theological underpinning. Totally, um, yeah. In the world wow. of worship leadership writing, there's this divide and we have a lack of kind of theologian practitioners, I think, out there. Yeah. Which I would I would put you in that category, Stephen. So um, I'm thankful that you're doing this project. Oh, um, yeah. 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 Oh, it's important to me. I'm not, and I would never say that I'm like necessarily great at it, but I mean, it's just, I'm so passionate about art and music and, mm -hmm. you know, expression, but I love theology and I love scripture and I love like philosophy too. And just like understanding yeah. why we do things, um, yeah. not just how we do them and how they make us feel, but what, the intention is so yeah, yeah i appreciate yeah. that i mean that's what i i'm trying to dis disciple people really i mean <laughs> i did i didn't have to call it worship leader leader life except that that's what i'm that's the world i kind of live in so but i yeah. i know it's really about discipleship and that's why yeah. i love this the pastoral side right the seed of the primary seat for discipleship that's perfect yeah so uh, like understanding it that way um, the way I approach it with my students is I say to them, listen, you're, you're involved in a project with the Holy Spirit that shapes people <laughs> and shapes communities. And you are involved in that whether or not you acknowledge it and recognize it or not. What we want to do is bring what you're doing up to the surface. Because mm -hmm. right now what's happening is you are involved in shaping people and you haven't even considered that. Yeah. So if we want to shape people, obviously, if we're involved in this kind of co-work with the Holy Spirit, we want to shape people in a way that's biblical. Um, and one of the dangers uh, in our churches today is that those cultural liturgies that James K. Smith talks about can leak into our worship leadership really, really easily. Yeah. Um, and so if we think of... Um, he, he talks about kind of visions of the good life that we're given by culture. And so we can think of things like fame or um, kind of self-worship, um, yep. the adoration of choice, 
<laughs> those kind of visions of the good life um, are mm -hmm. definitely present in our worship context today. Mm -hmm. And they're there because we haven't thought about the pattern of what we're doing. And so the pastoral element of worship leadership is that kind of discipleship shaping and being aware of what vision of the good life we are igniting in people. Um, and if we can do that well, obviously there's also pastoral care elements and things like that that we talk about, but that's the basis of it. Just mm -hmm. understanding that worship itself by nature is pastoral and we can't, we can't get away from that. We yeah. can only ignore it to our peril. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. And when you were working with Lincoln and, and for those who don't know, Lincoln Tatum was one of the worship pastors at 10th church in Vancouver and uh, Stacy and I both worked with him. He, yeah. he used to talk about, he was always trying to steer the staff that like the leadership to recognize that on a Sunday morning, you can't do everything. Mm. So, you know, a church, uh, we do a lot of things, whether it's <laughs> weddings, funerals, <laughs> teaching, preaching, discipleship, evangelism, outreach, you know, but on a Sunday morning, we can't do it all. So what things are we going to attempt to do on a Sunday morning versus on a Monday or Tuesday, you know, through the rest yeah. of the week? And so I, I imagine this kind of fits into that conversation in a big way for our worship leaders because, yeah, like how do how does what we do fit in obviously we are worshiping but um there are other things or there are things that go on within worship i think that are part of the the job or the mandate or the or the role of the church so you got me thinking now <laughs> excellent i'm gonna be thinking a lot now no. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's not just, we're not just shaped by the Sunday morning patterns, right? It's, it's yeah. the oh, yeah. overall pattern um, of, of our, our gathering together. Um, mm -hmm. So Sunday mornings is the most influential, I think, because we do it regularly, or at least we used to before things got really weird. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, really, yeah. <laughs> which is a whole nother um, thing we could talk about, but uh, it's also the, you know, what happens on Wednesday nights, what happens, mm -hmm. on, you know, it's all of those other patterns um, as well that make that influence us. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, we start, we've already sort of talked a bit about this, but, you know, the second part of that question for me is I've had pushback from some worship mm -hmm. leaders. In fact, I, uh, after I wrote that to you later on that day, I stumbled upon one of the guys that, that once told me that, like, he, I guess, in his uh, denomination, he had he had gone to get licensed, and they told him he he needed a lot of work <laughs> as far as you know uh, his biblical knowledge and theology, and, and yeah. even just understanding their doctrine. It wasn't that he didn't agree with it, and he was kind of pushing back on that, saying like, "Ah, oh, man, like I just I'm just the music guy. Like I'm not really into the mm -hmm. theology of it." And uh, I just, I was tried to like encourage <laughs> the other way. Um, but, you know, he, this was someone who leaned heavy on the, you know, the tech production side of things, um, which are great. But what happens when we miss that, when we miss the theological and, and the pastoral side of who we, you know, who we're called to be, what happens? Like, what do we yeah. end up with? <laughs> it's a good question. I think, um when we 
it, what happens is we don't have foundation for what mm -hmm. we're doing. And that means I don't have anything to go back to when I'm making a choice for what I do on Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. Actually, the only thing I have to go back to is my own personal taste. Yep. So it means I'm making decisions based on what I think sounds good. <laughs> yeah. Which I think a lot of worship or leaders do. Good. Yeah, or and feels then, good or whatever. Well, and, then sounds we wonder, good. and then we wonder why there's so much conflict in mm -hmm. worship leadership. But if I'm making decisions based on my personal preferences and this person is making decisions based on their personal preferences, of course, <laughs> if they don't align, we're going to yep. have conflict. Yeah. So I think what happens is sooner or later, and it may take a long time um, because we do tend to um, align ourselves with congregations that we agree with or, yeah. or like the style of, at least yeah. initially. So it may take time, but eventually your personal preference isn't going to mesh with someone else's personal preference. And you don't have anything else to fall back on because that's the basis on which you're making your decisions. Totally. Whereas if we have a theological foundation, and one thing I stress with my students is, you know, I want us to really wrestle with the biblical text because I want every decision you make that touches a Sunday morning to be based on the biblical text. And that means if someone comes to you and says, hey, why did you do this? Mm. <laughs> You don't you don't write them off, right? Yeah. Like you want to actually engage and and be open to criticism, but you can also say, "Well, this is the reason I did it." Yeah, uh, I want them to have an answer to the why, mm -hmm. um, and I I think we should all have an answer to the why. Um, I remember once I was uh, when I was leading at the church in Langley that was paying me ten dollars an hour. Yeah, I had someone come up to me once after a service and say. Not not in a mean way, but, but uh, they're saying, you know, I just don't understand why you you p were playing music while someone was praying. I find that very distracting. Yeah. Um, and they were honestly asking me, they're like, can you help me understand why? And I, I kind of took a breath and went, I don't know why I did that. Do I know why I did that? <laughs> yeah. And then I like I kind of thought backwards, and I'm like, well, actually, as they were praying, I wanted to pe people to start having the chorus of the next song be the answer to that prayer. Yeah. And so I wanted to start um, having people anticipate those lyrics. Yeah. And that's why I did it. And they looked at me and went, "Oh, well, that makes sense. Thank you. Now I'll listen yeah. for that if you play music behind something again." Which I right, think, so it yeah. their understanding, and but I had to think about it because I didn't originally, um, I hadn't, I had thought through it, but not to the level that uh, I needed to. So I worked at a church where the lead, the preaching pastor, loved that, um, oh. but he was never one to really explain why, um, and I would often take a moment to explain not all the time i'm not perfect but i tried to explain like why i would maybe play while the pastor was praying or or why we chose this song today or why um yeah. and i i always felt like uh i don't know i i i really tried to do it for our people but i always felt like one or two of 
in the leadership were like uh, rolling their eyes like you don't have to tell us why we're doing it just do it like but i think it's important like i don't think you want to pepper your worship set with too much teaching no. but there's got to be some way to communicate like do you, like have you had any ideas for that like i don't know emails blog newsletter uh other yeah. platforms where the worship leader can kind of teach on worship i don't know like are you are your students coming yeah. up with any ideas for that or hmm that's a good question um like i i think <laughs> personally i think conflict inv invites some pretty great um learning yeah, that way totally. so like in that situation it was a, a mild confrontation but it was a confrontation yeah totally um, yeah. and that gave me an opportunity to share the why because i had a why um so that's one thing that i stress with my students um yeah one of the reasons that i started my blog was because i was um, leading at the church plant that we were in right and I was trying to train other leaders. And so I was kind of trying to give some basic training that way. And we also met in person a few times um, to do that. Um, I've seen some worship leaders have a little blurb in the bulletin, if it's mm. still a church that has a bulletin, mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. they'll just talk about some of their choices for the week. Um, in terms of in-person leadership, you're right. Like if you just load up, like in between everything you do, there's another explanation for what's happening next and why it's happening. Like yeah. that's all you're doing is pulling people out of that moment yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. actually not letting them experience. It. Um, so I talk in classes about um, how to invite instead of instruct. Nice. So instead of saying, so now we're going to sing this song because it has this connection to this, saying, as we sing this next song, I invite you to <laughs> consider the ways in which God is bigger than the situation we find ourselves in. Yeah. Right? And then I'm, I'm, I am instructing, hmm. but I'm actually inviting them to see something um, in the song idea. instead. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a great uh, intern worship leader at my mom's church, like the church I grew up in, Chilliwack. And, uh, but I noticed when I would visit and worship there in the middle of the song, he would be kind of commanding, like, come on church, sing, you know, like, like that kind of stuff. And I, and I don't know where it was coming from or, you know, where he learned that, but it was, it was like, it got me thinking about this very thing. Like instead of constantly directing or even cheerleading you know that's one of the mm -hmm. things i like to talk about i'm not a dj i'm not a cheerleader um <laughs> you know but uh but yeah like i just it got me thinking like wow like i wonder if he realizes how that's coming across like i don't want to yeah. sing with you because you're yelling at me to do it you know what i mean like <laughs> and i'm sure he grew out of that i it's like and he's a great yeah. guy i just um it just struck me like that we, we all have these and sometimes i think it's you know nerves or insecurities or just habits yeah. we get into like there's things that i do and lisa my wife she tells me like did you know that you've been doing this a lot lately i'm like oh really <laughs> and of course we have a little fight and, then, and then i listen to her because she's very wise and helpful <laughs> anyway so well that's great this is good stuff mm -hmm. um now this is a big one. I know I asked a number of questions. We don't have to get to all of them. And I don't. What's your time like? Like, like I don't want to keep you for too long. Or 
Yeah, I think I'm okay till about four. Perfect. Okay, cool. Do you want to talk mm -hmm. about lament? I'd love to hear a bit more about that. I know that's something oh, yeah. you've taught and written on. Uh, mm -hmm. Why, you know, lament? For those who aren't familiar with lament, tell us what it really means and um, what you've been teaching your students. Okay. Yeah, that is a bit. I could talk for a long time. I bet, yeah, um, I bet you could. So, I mean, <laughs> forgive me. But I'll, but I'll try to get the Cole's notes. Yeah, give um, us a timer, I guess. Or a, a 101 <laughs> of 101. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Um, most of my study has been in the Psalms of Lament. So, I will mm. first specify that that's, that's where most of my study has been. Um, there's other um, biblical laments in Scripture. Um, but I've looked primarily at the structure of this of the songs of lament. Um, how would I describe lament? Lament is um, lament is an expression of trust mm. at its heart. Um, yeah. Praise is also an expression of trust, but praise is an expression of trust. Um, no, I'm not going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> Self editing. No, that's okay. not how I went because then. I'm playing phrase. Um, I think we often put them in opposition. So we think this one's a praise and this one's a lament. Mm. But this, the central thesis of the book of Psalms is kind of the Lord reigns, praise him, um, is how I describe it. Mm. <clears throat> so if we understand all of the Psalms under that big heading, <laughs> then kind of some of the darkness that's in the Psalms of Lament. Um, we need to look at that and remember that they're still prayers. So the psalmist isn't speaking just into the wind. They're not simply grieving because they've lost something. Um, they're praying. They're speaking to someone. So the four parts of a psalm of lament, and I'm these are I've taken for those of you out there who care, I've taken um, Klaus Westerman's. Um, parsing of the Psalms of Lament and and simplified it down so that it's actually parts that are in every Song of Lament. So he has some additional pieces, um, and you can look at some of his articles to to get there. Awesome. Um, but there's four things that are in every Psalm that's classified as lament in the Psalter. The first one is an address. It's to someone. Um, as I said, they're prayers, and um, most of the laments call specifically on Yahweh. Hmm. on the personal name of God. So there's a personal relationship involved in all of these songs. Um, and, and that becomes critically um, important as we keep going um, to the next section, which is uh, complaint. So there's an address and then, and there's a complaint and they don't necessarily go in this order, but each of the Psalms has these four parts. The complaint is brutal <laughs> in a lot of the Psalms. There's um, really strong language. Um, it's a really specific and full outpouring of pain, of confusion, of anger, of sickness, of sorrow. Um, pretty much every hard emotion that we experience in life uh, is present mm. in the Psalms of Lament. And it's poured out to Yahweh in all of its fullness without holding back. Uh, the third part is a request. So it's not just a pouring out. Because it's addressed to someone, a lament is not a dirge. 
So a dirge is just a simple song of grief that just just pours out of someone. And there's good reasons to sometimes sing a dirge. Um, But a lament speaks to someone and not just to anyone, to a God who is powerful, good, just, um, a God who has the ability to, to change the circumstance that the psalmist finds themselves in. Yeah. And that means a request is possible awesome. <laughs> because I'm speaking to someone who can do something about my complaint. Um, I then make a request of God and request is actually a really polite word <laughs> for how yeah. these are phrased because almost in almost every Psalm of lament, the tense that's used for the um, request um, is the imperative. So it's an order. Oh, wow. <laughs> it's a command. It's it's not God. Would you please come and help me? It's God help me. Yeah. There's there's a real kind of boldness and forthrightness um, to the wow. Psalms of Lament. That's amazing. And then the fourth part um, seems to flummox uh, a lot of of theologians but to me it makes perfect sense so i'm not entirely sure why they're totally confused brugman included yeah um but often there's a dramatic shift and it does look confusing at first there's a dramatic shift into praise and trust okay and in fact um a lot of um a lot of people will take that and split the psalm right there and say, this is the lament, and this last part is the praise resolution. Right, yeah. <laughs> but that part of every psalm, no matter how dark it is, has an expression of trust or praise. Hmm. Um, psalm 88 is probably the darkest psalm Yeah. Um, in terms of a personal lament. There's personal and corporate laments. The last line of Psalm 88 is, Darkness is my closest friend. Hmm. Period. <laughs> Period, yeah. <laughs> but it starts, but the first line is, you are the God who saves me. Yeah. Right. So even in that darkness, there's that glimmer of trust and praise. And I, in my understanding, the reason that that's there and why it's essential that we see it as part of the structure of a lament song is because we we come to that place knowing who we call on mm. that this is this is the god that we call on he's he's good he's just he's merciful he's righteous he's created the world um, in an ordered way that makes sense yeah and this the lament psalmist cries out and says but these are my circumstances and they don't make sense and they don't reflect a god who is good and they don't reflect a God who is merciful and just. Mm. And the psalmist is trying to reconcile those two things and crying out to God saying, I know this is who you are, but this is what I'm seeing around me. Help me to understand. And you need to then bridge this gap. Um, That's the cry to Yahweh. And the reason that we come to that place of, of praise and trust is because ultimately who God is doesn't change regardless of how our circumstances might change. Yeah. And if we don't pray the Psalms of lament, if we don't 
um, have lament in our congregations or teach that um, teach that structure, we end up with a faith that's simply based on circumstance mm -hmm. instead of a faith that's based on the person and um, work of God. Yeah. And then yeah. circumstances aren't so good. I think there's a there's a yeah. percentage of people that will ignore them, ignore the negative, and pretend it doesn't exist. And then there's a percentage that yeah. just walks away and says, "Well, that that was fun while it lasted, or whatever." <laughs> and uh, yeah, but that's so true. It's kind of like what you were talking about before. Like if we're if we're only basing our liturgy on what we like, yeah. Then when we when we come across people who don't like the same thing then there's nothing there's nowhere to go like there's no uh yeah wow that's yeah. that's very cool um and I, yeah like how are you encouraging your students as they well i'm sure that some of them aren't just beginning their journey but like as they head into leading worship in churches and you know, like, where's a good place to start in a church that maybe is not familiar with the language of lament or even just the concept of it, right? Even yeah. though most of these people are probably reading their Psalms, but maybe not really realizing what it is they're reading, right? Like, yeah, I think being awake to that, that really simple structure um, mm -hmm. is, is helpful because that's also a great pastoral tool. Yeah. Um, like I, I've had moments where, um, I've been called into a hospital room to sit with people, mm -hmm. um, friends of mine who had three miscarriages and then carried their baby to term and lost the baby. Oh. And they called me and said, would you come and lead worship at, in the hospital room with us and our family? And I, <laughs> I mean, it, your stomach drops and you go, how do I even? Yeah. Um, how do I even, uh, there are no words for that circumstance. There's how do I worship? How do I lead people in worship in that context? And, um, I was so glad that I had studied <laughs> that structure because that's yeah. what I did. Like, uh, I mean, we got there and we just prayed, God, you, you are the God that gave children to barren women. <laughs> yeah. You are the God that loves children. Mm. this doesn't make sense we don't understand mm. and we're struggling to see you as good right now yeah to be able to pray that right um that we're not sure you're good in this moment but we do still believe and and we know that even though we can't see it right now your goodness remains and so we need you to move we need you to be in this room right now. We need you to give us hope. Yeah. Um, right. So uh, having that structure as a pastoral tool allows you into situations that would be difficult, um, difficult to navigate, if not impossible. Yeah. <laughs> pastorally. But also it doesn't always have to be so big. Right. Sometimes we think when we think, oh, leading lament, we think I have to lead a service of lament. Hmm. Actually, I think we should have an element of lament in every service we lead. Yeah. It might be as simple as a call to worship that says, welcome to church this morning. Some of you are rejoicing in this day and have had great weeks. Some of hmm. you have lost your jobs. 
Some of you are struggling with loss. Some of you are struggling with sickness. Um, some of you have had new life brought into you this week. Um, but whatever circumstances we come from, we acknowledge that we worship the same God, a God who is good, a God who is powerful. And so let's sing from whatever circumstance we're in this week, right? Yeah. And that doesn't have to be major. <laughs> yeah. It's just a few words that that um, allow that acknowledgement of, of potential pain in our congregation and welcome that as a part of worship. That's amazing. So good. It's such a rich um, concept and topic out of such a barren experience, though. (laughs) Yeah, I know. That's why we need need people like you to help (laughs) formulate this stuff. That's so cool. Wow. Mm. Um, Yeah. Well, I, I don't think I'll try to ask any of the other questions i think that's like an amazing place to like sit and think and um you know and maybe we could do this again one day i like because i can tell you got a lot of great things to to say um i'm very chatty Mm -hmm. oh it's good it's good yeah um i was gonna ask you uh it's hard to ask this is kind of like after chris tomlin led and and like, I feel like I could be that pastor who jumped up and said, Hey, like, what, what are you? <laughs> like, I'm, I'm really trying to like absorb everything. You no, know. you're doing, you're doing um, good. Yeah. So yeah. Do you have any books, uh, hmm. books or songs? I, I like to ask if I yeah. talking to people, books or songs, what have you got? What have you got? My mentor that was the hardest me. question. I yeah. <laughs> I have such a hard time narrowing things down, but maybe because we're in the lament realm. Yeah. Um, I think one of the best recent uh, lament songs out there is Andrew Peterson's is, is he worthy? Hmm. Um, it's, it's tough to pull off in a congregation depending on who you've got. Um, but it is a beautiful expression of trust and acknowledgement of the realness of the situation that our world is in right now. That's amazing. Um, another album I keep going back to over and over, um, when I just need some peace or, um, that, that wrestles with some of these things is, I don't know if you know, page CXVI. I don't think so. I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Okay, they, they're a group that does kind of resettings of, of hymns. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, but quite, quite creatively. So I love specifically their Lullabies album. Oh, maybe I have heard of the, I've heard, I think I've heard of this album, yeah. Mm. Um, but if you want another lament song by them is called Joy. Um mm. She takes the song, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart and shifts it into a minor key uh-huh. and then, and then writes a chorus in between. And um, I would look up the video for that one. It's phenomenal. Okay. Um, she, when she wrote that, she, she got home from the funeral of her dad and actually oh. sat down and wrote that. Um, and it's oh. really powerful. Yeah. Um. <laughs> Zooming back out to big picture theology, I mentioned James K. Smith. So yeah. 
Um, a good place to start with his work is the book, You Are What You Love. Awesome. Um, and that summarizes his kind of approach and it's a little more accessible than, than, um, than the one I'm forgetting the title of anyways. Mm. <laughs> I probably will remember as soon as we hang up. Oh, um, in terms of big picture structure of worship, I would go to Constance Cherry, the worship architect. Awesome. Constance. Yeah. That's great. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're uh, welcome. The, and thank you for taking this time. Um, I'm going to tell everybody to come study with you. <laughs> awesome. I would love that. Yeah. I love having more students. Yeah. In fact, yeah, I'd, love to, really like, I'd love to chat with you another time about what the program looks like. And, yeah. and um, yeah, because... In the in just in this like forty five minutes or whatever, it's like uh, I want, I want more of that. Yes, thank you, Lord. <laughs> so, um, is it okay? Can I pray for you? Yeah, I'd love that. I mean, not for, yeah. Just can I just pray? I just want to. Uh, God, thank you so much for Stacy, and thanks for the program that she's directing. Thank you for her students. What a weird season we've been in, but I I just. Yeah, I ask that you would prepare students for this next year, this next semester, and those who are even already hard at work, getting ready, and and uh, those who maybe are not sure where they're going to be in the fall or next year, that you would just keep knocking on their hearts and draw them to yourself. And thank you for the 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 wealth of well knowledge and study that uh that we see here with stacy and 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 all the people that she's drawn from and yeah i'm just really grateful and we pray for our congregations our communities the people that we worship with that that you would allow us to continue to uh spur them on and um shepherd them yeah hmm. yeah in jesus name Amen. Amen. Yeah. Now, I feel like I've been drugged by good stuff. <laughs> like if I, when I'm reading a good book, yeah, like you know, what's that? I said, that is the way I like to leave my students. Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. No yeah. Um, good theology. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Thank you so much. This has been awesome. Yeah. Thanks and, for inviting uh, me. Yeah. This has been the worshipleaderlife.com podcast. You can find us at worshipleaderlife.com. I'm your host, Stephen Toon. I'm an ordained minister with the Christian Missionary Alliance in Canada. I was a pastor for almost 20 years, and now I support local churches by discipling worship leaders. And I look forward to serving you again. Thanks. Bye-bye. shelter, comfort, and healing from all my pain. Your love, it transforms and reclaims your touch. We love your embrace.
rescued me while I was still in sin I'll never receive condemnation or shame again Covered by the song of your love I'm saved by the mark of your blood Oh, you fly like an eagle and pour like rain You ride on the wind and you know my name Everything broken you man again No one can love like you You're gentle as a whisper but never weak You're rushing like a breaker but you calm the sea You glorify the Father and spread His name Jesus there's none like Hey 
fly like an eagle and pour like rain. You ride on the wind and you know my name. Everything broken, you mend again. No one can love like you. You're gentle as a whisper, but never weak. You're rushing like a breaker, but you calm the sea. You glorify the Father and spread His name, Jesus. There's none like You, Jesus. There's none like You.